This is Saster's Founders Favorite Series, where you can hear some of the best of the best from Saster speakers. This is where the cloud meets. Guru is the knowledge management solution that delivers the information you need when and where you need it. Guru lets your team capture information instantly wherever it surfaces. Slack, Gmail, Salesforce, Microsoft Outlook and Teams, and more without ever leaving their workflow. Visit getguru.com forward slash saster to get Guru for free. Up today, Slack CEO, Stuart Butterfield. All right, everyone. I know it won't really work on the Zoom, but please give a warm round of applause for Stuart Butterfield for, for coming back to Saster. Stuart, thank you so much for joining us and taking out the time. It's super appreciated. No problem. Um, My pleasure. Thanks for having and, me. Uh, so much I'd love to chat about, and I want to talk about everything in Bridging the Gap, but just looking at that video and thinking back to 2015 with 50,000 users in the Bay Area, the IPO, how do, how do you feel? Slack's been such a part of our lives. Like, how do you take it all in? How do you think back on those five years? I don't know if the frog in boiling water is the right metaphor or not, but it's just, you know, it's, I've, I've been in it all day. So it's, it was actually kind of an interesting throwback to see that punctuated gap of uh, 2015 and 2020. There are moments when, when I really appreciate it. Listing day was definitely one of those days. Uh, my mom ringing the bell to open trading of the stock and, uh, and times like that. But the rest of the time, it's just work. There's just lots of stuff going on. There's always one more thing, one more hire, one more customer, one more feature, you know, one more investor meeting and uh, just keep going. Yeah, and I really want to take careful use of your time, but I want to be nostalgic because we're, we're staying from, we're work from home and it's the end of the day. Looking back, like we're, we've been doing this for a while. Flickr was, was so crazy. It was bought for what, $30 million by Yahoo? Yeah, and that was like crazy at the time, wasn't it? Like, oh my God, this Web 2.0 thing. Did you, is it all just so much bigger and crazier than you ever thought it was? Is it, is it hard to take in at all? Yeah, I mean, it's a different world now too, though. Because like Flickr was already acquired maybe like eight months or something like that before YouTube was even founded. 2000 and, God, it's 2005 we were acquired, so 15 years ago. At that moment, like the coolest phone that you could get was a Motorola Razor. And if people had them, they would like, you know, conspicuously put them on the table during lunch. So that's just a, you know, one indication. Uh, I bet like probably fewer than 40% of American households had broadband access at home. We were still pretty early in the, in the general transition to digital. I guess that's four years after Salesforce started with the the software with the, you know, the line through it and cloud was born, but it, you know, this is a, it is a completely different universe. Um, trying to think back to that time. Yeah. It's just, and let's move on to Slack. Does Flickr, we didn't even think of Flickr as a cloud product, but it was actually one of the most disruptive cloud products, right? No one thought, how could you even afford to store your photos on the internet? And uh, it was just at the, at the bleeding edge and we're kind of doing it again. We're gonna, we'll have limited time, but folks, put your Q&A and we'll try to at least hit some of the questions at the end. So from, from consumer and Flickr, I want to fast forward, and I just want to briefly share the slide with folks. You know this slide, Stuart, if you can see it, which is Slack's percent of revenue from the enterprise. But a lot of folks who are OGs Slack may be surprised, right? They may think that Slack is mostly a, a tool for, for startups or others. They may not realize, but 
coming up or maybe even past the majority of your revenues from six figure and up deals. So Slack has become, at least I would say fairly enterprise. And I think you use the enterprise language, right? You have a very interesting mix of small, medium and large now getting bigger, which I want to dig into. But first, tell us what you're hearing today from CTOs and CIOs. What are you hearing? This, this slide is the last deal you did before you, before you went to sheltered homes. So what can you tell other founders? What are you seeing at the top? You know, I, I think it's, it's going to be so specific to the, to the company, the category, the product, um, but also I think the, the situation of the customer. I had a, a meeting with both the CEO and the CTO of an unnamed customer in retail two, three months ago, and they were describing how they had just rolled out WebEx to the company last year, but they talked about it like they were in the Vietnam War and it was just awful. Like you couldn't believe how challenging the change management was. Like this is just an impossible transition for us. And then near the end of the call, the CTO asked me if I thought he should switch to Office 365 from on-prem exchange. And I was like, why are you asking me? There's, you know, if you, if you put all the customers on a, on a spectrum and, you know, like at this end is you know, progressive, digital first, kind of thinking really strategically about their technology investments, I forget how many there are kind of at this end of the spectrum who are uh, significantly behind. And, you know, I think there's almost certainly some bias towards who I end up talking to. First of all, because salespeople will put me with the, you know, the more important strategic customers or ones where it feels like it's going to make more of a difference. But generally, if, if there's an exec at the company who wants to talk to me, it's a good indicator that they're thinking pretty seriously about this stuff. Every once in a while, I get a lucky break, but, um, I think that there, you know, investments that seem necessary now are definitely getting made. The good news is, you know, if people can bridge the gap, if people can make it through to the other side, I do think for some customers, we're pushing them three or six months down the road. For others, it's like three or five years down the road of digital transformation. And, you know, we talked about this actually in my staff meeting earlier today. Think about in the last 25 years, how many companies had consultants come in or, or like internal strategy teams prepare a report about telecommuting in the future and working from home and what it would take. And like just preparing the report took nine months and the plans were all like, you know, three to five year. And if you asked anyone if they could do it in a week, they would have said it's impossible. And then when it turned out to be necessary, turns out it was possible. So I think that will force reevaluation of a whole bunch of stuff down the line. I mean, there's some stuff that's obvious like Zoom, we used to sit in a conference room talking to each other. We still need to talk to each other. Therefore, we need some kind of uh, video conferencing, voice and video calling service. Some things are, are much less obvious. And I do think that uh, once we're out the other side, um, and I have no idea how long that is, but once we're out the other side, I do expect kind of a, a further uptick in investment in software, technology, digital transformation, cloud. So kind of good news for, for everyone in the audience. And what do you, you're probably, I mean, Slack's obviously seen incredible growth since Shelter at Home. But to me, and, and I'm, I'm just more a, a, a student and a fan and a user, but it seems like you might have an interesting insight because I, it almost seems like before Shelter at Home, Slack was a poster child for the innovation budget. I want to bring innovation into my enterprise. And Slack is a tool where I will be a hero in my company. Yeah. I don't hear much innovation budget happening in April and May, but a ton of budget for must-have for mandatory. And Slack, I feel like, went from an innovation tool to need it to function in my business. So is there a trade-off there? Are you secretly struggling 
in some weird corners of Slack at the same time as you're seeing this avalanche of, of growth and usage? Yeah, we're, well, I mean, yeah, I guess we're seeing everything, right? So you mentioned at the beginning the breakdown of, of enterprise customers, and we use that $100,000 ARR mark. It's a little bit arbitrary because there's people who are way beyond that, and there's people who spend fifty or 80000 But um, we have 110,000 customers as, you know, at last quarterly announcement. There's only 500 companies in the Fortune 500, so just kind of necessarily at least 109,500 of them aren't in the Fortune 500. So they're going to be a lot of small businesses. There's state, local, municipal government. There's like academic research labs. There's nonprofits, startups. So we're really seeing everything. And I think you're, you're right. It's a good point. Um, and I think an ongoing challenge for us, maybe not right this quarter, but kind of historically and, and when things resume uh, normalcy, that there is no line item that we're replacing in people's budgets typically. There is no other, you know, like what I said in the in 2015 is still true. This is a new category. We still have to invent it. Um, You're still unbudgeted even in 2020. Yeah. And so, you know, that presents some additional challenge. It also gives you a, a little bit of latitude. I mean, I think net, it's a, it's a disadvantage, but it does give you a little latitude to sell in a different way. And I think uh, innovation budget is one of those. And obviously, after thousands and thousands of hours of practice, you started to refine ways to communicate to uh, both to the executives and kind of the more, you know, procurement, administrative IT, kind of like people who actually have to deal with the stuff, how to pitch it. Yeah. And um, how have you evolved like your onboarding process and making customers more successful, especially with folks that are maybe the one you described that had spent five years evaluating WebEx? How do you get them up to speed on Slack in an hour or a day instead of maybe what change management used to be? I haven't experienced a lot of other people, so I don't know if this is really true, but I feel like we have the best customer success team um, in the business. And um, there are now many tens, maybe even hundreds of thousands of hours of experience and we used to think like Oracle had through acquisitions, maybe a, a thousand or 2000 people using Slack. And in 15 months, we took it to a hundred thousand people wall to wall. And we, that was like the record. That was so fast. That just seemed like, you know, mind bogglingly fast and not to the same extent, I don't think, but there was a 72 hours to get to a hundred thousand like a, a month ago. But I think the success comes when people are willing to invest and, and forget Slack for a second you join pretty much any company, it's unlikely that there's any part of onboarding. Like there's all this, here's our security practices, here's get your laptop, here's provision your software, meet your team. Probably nothing on culture of communication, discipline around communication, expectations. But if you're a manager, you spend more or less 100% of your time in communication. And, and for many roles inside of enterprises, certainly salespeople, it's gonna be close to 100% as well. Even the people who spend the least amount of time in communication are probably 30 or 40% of their time. You know, even like you imagine the archetypal backend systems engineer kind of person, they still have to write bug reports and code commits and checkouts, and they still have to communicate with their team and their manager. But if you average it out, I, this is not data, this is just made up. It's around 50% of people's time, I think, is on really basic communication and coordination. So not the interesting strategic creative stuff, but just it's the, the daily standups, it's the status reports, it's the quarterly business review, it, and it's the road mapping sessions and everything that a project manager does. And I don't mean to say that that stuff's unimportant. I think the reason we invest such an extraordinary amount of time is because it's really important. So now you imagine 
I got 10,000 employees, payroll is a billion dollars a year. Half of that is going towards just people trying to stay coordinated, you know, just keep each other up to date on what's going on, just answering each other's questions so that they can do whatever the actual work is. So it's, it's kind of nuts that there's zero or close to zero investment on how we should communicate, how we should run meetings, how we should, you know, write memos or anything. There are exceptions, but generally people don't. So we kind of view the roundabout way to answer the question that the Slack success services are kind of the missing training from, from onboarding at your company that you maybe should have had. But that's also an effective pitch to, to customers. And it's, hey, look, you're going to make this change. This is going to affect how people spend a couple of hours a day. Use this as an opportunity to piggyback some other change that you want to some change in the culture, some change in, in process, uh, a reorg. And, you know, interestingly, in the current environment, kind of looking at the, the same thing at a, at a global level, the backdrop of global pandemic change is so enormous that you can kind of sneak in anything you want. And we see, uh, I see that talking to other CEOs today, not my customers, just like there's a, essentially a, a, a group therapy SaaS CEO roundtable. And it's like, oh, that reorg that we've been sitting on for six months because we know people are going to be upset. Now's the time to, to pull it off because no one really cares. Everyone's like has a much higher tolerance for, for change than they would otherwise have. Got it. So you're seeing, I mean, and I want to talk about SMEs next, but this is a great time to push through organizational changes as challenging as it is. That we've, we have no choice, right? So take it all, take it all together. This one from your, from your tweet, good things on, on the Maos and Daos and Yaos and all the Aos, um, uh, but 110,000 customers, many would go out of business. I, I remember when you came to SaaS Training in 2015, I was a Slack user, but I wasn't really aware of the fair billing policy back then that you auto deprovision. My jaw kind of dropped. Um, my jaw also dropped when you said you'd never have a salesperson. We could chat about that later. It was a yeah. fun time. But I really felt that the, the fair billing policy was antithetical to how you scale recurring revenue. I was wrong. What are you seeing today with your customers that are struggling? Right? Not, I mean, there, it must be material. It's the double digits that are strong. It's not just the, the, the ones that are growing. Um, what are you thinking? What are you learning? And, and how has Slack evolved to help your SMEs? So we're doing, there's a bunch of things that we're doing. Some is more outreach for new customers. The team's have been running one-on-one consultations that just anyone can sign up for. If they have a question, need help getting started, why they should do it. I'm actually doing my first one tomorrow, but the team has done hundreds and hundreds of these. We're also obviously doing more webinars, more training sessions, we have, you know, every vertical, every geography. So we obviously, we have customers in travel and hospitality, and like probably most of the, the big companies you can think of in, in travel and hospitality, and they're obviously hurting pretty hard. There's a lot of people who are talking to the CEO of another company, and he's like, yeah, my procurement guys are asking for discounts as they should be from everyone for everything. Um, I think there's a little bit of that, like, you know, even if your business isn't especially affected, you might as well be asking for discounts, but it's pretty obvious the ones that are hurting. We also did something where when you cancel, like actually cancel a paid plan, which historically has been, you know, very, very low. So we have excellent retention. We do ask you why. And when we see COVID pandemic, you know, uh, lockdown, any of those things in the response, we just write them back and say, well, okay, have a couple months for free. At least, you know, might help you wind things down if you need to, to wind it down. And uh, worst case, we, you know, we're not out anything really. Um, and best case, we have a fan for life. So there's a little bit of that. We're trying to be uh, proactive with some of our customers who we know are hurting, but m- most of that is just driven by fair billing. So we saw enormous spikes and we started to see churn and we kind of have to 
tease it apart to see what's happening inside of, of individual companies. And uh, I heard someone said something like 80% of startups have had some layoffs. So I have no idea if that's true or not. I also don't know how, who measures that and how you would know. But um, there's definitely a contraction at the same time as there's expansion. I think net positive for us at this point, but over the course of the year, who knows how that goes. Yes, but the, but the take the free months from us if COVID's impacting you on the exit seems to have helped, right, as one actionable tip. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I was talking to, uh, again, some of my peers, colleagues, um, a lot of them are just giving kind of a budget, because it's usually not money that you have to spend, but kind of like, an amount of money revenue they're comfortable giving up and just letting people in the field make those calls about how much they're willing to go down. And, and um, I think that everyone feels like that's worth it because it's not like this is any kind of new insight at all, but acquiring a new customer is expensive. If you can maintain one, um, that's really, really good. I view, and again, I'm not on the other side. I view Slack, but it does tie in with another question. I think it's cheap. Yeah. Uh, I think your ACVs are not that high. I think your per user prices compared to a peer set of applications. Do you, do you see a lot of that procurement pressure or folks that are paying? I mean, if I'm an enterprise and I'm paying $200,000 a year for Slack, it feels cheap compared to my stack. Is it, are, you, are you feeling folks that want 10% off just to get it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's everything. And sometimes I, I'm, you know, I don't even know how much we pay for most software. Like, honestly, <laughs> I just trust, trust my team. Um, and I as a general rule, think if we're buying software, it's a good deal because it frees up people to do the stuff that people are better to do. And the things that are amenable to automation tend to be more repetitive and kind of mind-numbing menial tasks. So hopefully you're not doing anything dumb, but I'm always struck by how irrational people are. And I'll, I'll talk to sometimes a CEO of a company like much bigger than us who wants a $100,000 discount. I'm like, what the fuck? What? How, how are you spending your time? Like this is- Spending their time. That's the mystery to me, right? Yeah. Like this, how could that possibly be a priority for you? But, uh, you know, we get, you're crazy expensive because people will compare it to Office 365, which they have to license for the whole company, you know, even if there's only 10% of the company is using it. I look at what we spend on other software and, you know, we spend as a multiple of what we would, sell Slack to ourselves. Obviously we get Slack for free, but we spend about two X that on a work day. And I'm thinking of things that are like basically company-wide. We also spend about two X that on Zoom because we have a huge number, like every conference room is a Zoom room. And is it too expensive? I don't know because like Slack will come out to 80 cents per user per day or something like that. And if you're spending 50% of your time on internal communication and this has a real impact on that, who cares? Like set the thermostat half a degree warmer or cooler, depending where you live. And there's your 80 cents a day. Well, that's interesting. Zoom, you find folks pay twice as much as a total. Oh, I don't know about other people. I just, we oh, do because yeah, the, the per user licensing for Zoom is lower, but uh, Zoom rooms are pretty expensive and we just, we have a thousand of them or something. Yes. This one I, I, I was super curious about. I find Slack free fascinating. I think Slack is cheap in the enterprise. And I also think it's too free. I think Slack free is like the best. Well, Zoom free is pretty good deal too. 40 something minutes for nothing. I get even confused which Zoom I'm on, our paid or our free one. But you said more upgrading to paid plans. What's going on here in these crazy times? And what can folks learn from this? So we have an internal metric that we call successful teams. Because here's what our funnel is like. I went to the website because I was interested in it. I actually 
created a team, which just basically means I filled out a form and got to the end of the process. I actually launched the app. I sent some invites. Some invites were accepted. People actually used it to send some messages. People started to sustain their usage. So successful teams is like kind of the earliest benchmark where we can say, these people are really giving Slack a try. It's like over the course of a week, multiple people are signing them on multiple days. So everywhere from the very top of the funnel to more people showing up on the website to more teams being created to more successful teams to more of those paying, um, all of those were up. And I, you know, like I said earlier, the success team is, is more effective and efficient now because customers are really paying attention. I think it's the same thing. Like to try to make sure we always keep this in mind as designers and, and product people, people who don't work at Slack really do not care. Like it's, Slack is not important in their lives compared to like their kids messing up at school or they got in a fight with their spouse or like trying to remember the email and they wanted to watch Netflix tonight or Maybe they should go to the gym or like what all the stuff is going on in their head. If this is the threshold that it requires for you to take time out of your day to visit our website, every customer is just just at that threshold. No one's coming in with an excess of intent. Like, like I might, when I need a certain cable and I go to Amazon or something like that, I'm, I want to find that cable. I need the cable. I know exactly what I'm doing. Whereas most people are like, I'm curious about Slack. So people are coming with a different attitude, a different intent. Like we need something I've heard this is good. So they're paying much more attention. They're putting more effort and energy into it. And, you know, if, I don't know if there's a tip based on today's environment for, for people, but here's like a, I finally figured out how to explain something that's, that's bothered me forever. And that's, um, let's focus on people's comprehension. Let's focus on whether they want to do this thing or not. And less on the friction removing Cause I, you can make it trivially easy and remove every bit of friction from some process, adding an app to a channel in Slack, let's say. But if no one knows what, what that means or why they would want to do it, then it's completely useless to them. On the other hand, if they knew what the value was and they really wanted to do it, they'd overcome all kinds of obstacles to get there. And that's the, not where we focus. We tend to focus, you know, everyone has this kind of growth hacker mindset, kind of largely based on retail, like single interactions, I did the thing or I didn't do the thing. And where that doesn't work is, it's not a big commitment for me to buy a, a t-shirt or something like that on an e-commerce site. I make the decision on my own. It's not a hugely consequential decision. I don't need to go away and think about it. But for Slack and for many other tools, I got to risk some of my personal capital inside the company to say, to invite people and say, I think this is worth your time. And I have to put all this energy and then the whole group has to decide at once. And then we have to decide if we pay. And usually, you know, larger customers, there's legal, finance, security, procurement, like there's all these people you got to get involved and kind of enrolled in, in making this purchase with you. So it's not at all like the friction in the moment, like how hard it is to find the button or how big the text is, is actually relatively unimportant compared to making sure that we're building up a good enough model of what people want. And I think we have made some improvements lately and that can maybe account for a tiny bit of this, but this is almost all people are coming in with a much higher degree of intent, like, you know, five times more desire to actually get something out of their visit to this website. Got it. All right, Stuart, Andy, I would love to chat forever. Anything else you think that founders and others that will watch this would like to know today or that could be helpful? You know, maybe just going back to the very beginning, I, Hopefully, as many of you as possible can hang in there while the world sorts its stuff out. Because I do think the other side of this is going to be great for software in general. 
a lot of people who thought something was impossible um, are going to now think maybe it's possible. A lot of people who had resisted certain kinds of change now having been thrust into this great change are more open-minded about, um, about what they'd attempt. So there's that, you know, there's just like, there's going to be even more opportunity, let's say three years from now than there was last year or, or three years. When now. we get through it. Right. And maybe this to just summarize, then we will break my view. I don't run Slack, but I think the boost that Slack's getting, as an example, I think it will be permanent. I, I don't think anyone that's all of a sudden come to Slack, once we get together at home, is to say, I don't need Slack anymore. I think you may be in industries that don't benefit today that are hurt. But when we come out of this, I think we're going to get an even bigger push than we anticipated before. Yeah. No, I, I can see that too. Yes. All right. Stuart, thanks for making this time. I know you have a, a lot going on. I'm sure everybody appreciated it. And um you're a good friend to Saster and to everyone in, in the cloud. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm glad you were able to pull this off. I know it must have been a little, little heartbreaking to cancel the, the real thing, and hopefully you're back soon. We'll be back. All right. Thank you so much. This was great. Say goodbye to slip-ups. Old news is a thing of the past. With Guru's verification tool, you'll always be confident that your team's knowledge is up-to-date and accurate because it's verified by your in-house experts. Saster listeners can get Guru for free today by visiting getguru.com forward slash Saster.